Welcome to the Hunt by Country podcast. This is episode number 429, and today I'm joined by Steve, and we recount our recent hunt in Idaho. As you'll hear about, we had deer and elk tags. We found some success and also had some struggles. We had some new experiences on this trip, learned some lessons, and encountered some things that kind of made us stop and evaluate. And it's always good to come out of hunts and not only have a story to tell, but just to gain more experience. And so we get into that today. We talk about the story, some of the experiences, and the decisions we made, touch a little bit on gear at the end. As always, if you have questions after listening to this, just let us know. We can answer those on a future Monday Minute episode. And I also have a link in the show description to the full gear list that I used for this hunt if you want to check that out. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We only continue to do this show because of your support and your feedback and because you share it with others. So if you are enjoying the show, please consider sending it to a friend or leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using. If you can do that, hit pause and do it right now. Then come on back and let's get into this recent hunt. All right, well, Steve, uh, I guess that context for the hunt real quick. We mentioned, you know, on Monday minutes, I think, before the hunt, um, I had a deer tag and an elk tag. You had a deer tag and then an elk tag for a different area. So there's numerous opportunities. But one thing that was unique is like being a non-resident myself, I have, you know, a specific deer unit and then an elk zone and they didn't overlap. Um, And then just originally when I picked up both of those tags, like almost a year ago, my plan was to have two weeks really to come out and I was like, I'm going to hunt deer for a week and then hunt elk for a week and make it a big trip. But that was all before I knew I was going sheep hunting, which was, you know, two weeks of September. So basically we had to compress that into a much shorter window. And then uh, it wasn't originally on the radar till you kind of brought it up, but we kind of realized we could hunt some border country between my deer area and elk area, which was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that's kind of context for the hunt. We essentially, I flew out and uh, hopped straight in the truck, went straight to the mountains and started hiking. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly I was just started looking at, you know, your, where you could hunt deer and where we were going to be hunting elk and they share a border. And I was like, well, it's, it wouldn't be my first choice for a deer spot, but it, you know, uh, may, maybe made sense to kill two birds with one stone since we didn't have a long, you know, duration for your, for your hunt. And we also had multiple tags. So it was like, well, let's go in, hunt the border. I fully anticipated there to be elk on the elk side to where, you know, we'd spend a couple of days in there hunting deer. And if we, even if we didn't get a deer, which I thought was a low shot just cause we were pretty high. And I think the deer kind of move had a chance of moving on, but I wasn't sure. And, uh, but I thought for sure we'd pick up a, a nice bowl just as we were sitting there for a couple of days, glassing for deer and know exactly where to be uh, on the opening morning of elk. Yeah. So it was, I don't know what time it was when we started hiking, but it was basically, you know, like I said, we drove straight up to the mountains after I landed, stopped and shot the rifle, you know, just after traveling. Obviously, it was a good idea to check zero. That was all good. We started hiking. The first bit was, yeah, I mean, it's a super easy cruising miles. 
had to do uh, a river crossing and it was basically getting, you know, close to dark after we did a river crossing. And the original plan was to get up on a ridge to be in a good glassing spot for the morning. But it was, was that was like a 2000 foot pole, Steve, I think to get up there. Uh, yeah, a little bit more than that. Yeah, more than that. So we realized that was going to be, if we did that fairly late and most of that in the dark, um, which I think up until we kind of got to it, we're like, maybe that's not the smartest idea. Um, and again, like throughout this podcast, I, I want to tell the story a little bit, but I also like want to like hit pause on kind of some decision moments just to pull out lessons and like different ways to think about things. So you and I had a, a pretty brief conversation and ultimately decided to not make that climb. Um, what was the reasoning for that? Well, yeah, basically you, you had been up since 1am Boise time because you <laughs> left Missouri and flew out there and we're talking at this point, it's yeah, nine o'clock at night, probably yeah. before we even did that. So we go do that poll and that takes, you know, an hour and a half. So I mean, it was going to be like, well, we're not going to get to bed till you know, 11, 11 30, especially the time you get up there, we, you eat a, a meal, you kind of, you know, once you kind of climb like that, there's a certain amount of, I don't know what the right, right word would be, but, um, it's going to wake you up, right? Like you're mm -hmm. not going to be sleepy by the time you get to that because you just, you know, kind of burning. It's going to take a while to kind of decompress and settle down and get to sleep. So, and then I was, uh, the whole week prior, uh, I was sick. Um, I'm still kind of stuffy in my nose here. It hasn't completely gone away. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you're lack of sleep. And then my just being like, ah, you know, I, I'm not feeling great myself. So let's uh, let's just camp down here in the bottom and we'll get up early and make the pole and be up there. You know, uh, the, the goal to be um, up there, you know, certainly within an hour of hour post sunrise, just to make sure, you know, animals should still be up and moving and, Mm -hmm. That was was the goal. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a weakness of mine. Is I'm pretty good at making plans and like sticking to plans, but I'm not always the best at like stopping in the moment and thinking of alternatives because I just have the plan in my head and it's like it is what mm -hmm. it is. Um, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't until you mentioned it, like I wonder if we should climb this. That I just wouldn't even have that thought because I was like, oh, we're just going to the top of the ridge. Like that's what I was set on doing. I wasn't thinking about is it the right call. It was just like it was the plan we had made. But now in the moment, I'm not sitting there going, man, is this the right call? Should we do it? I'm just like, oh, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. And I've definitely realized that. And this is a micro example of it, but like over the years, you know, even from you, Steve, of like you're always you make plans, but you hold them pretty loose and you're always reading the situation and things like that. And that's not even a hunt specific thing. Um, no, but it's a great yeah. example of, I've realized that's one of my weaknesses is like, I'll make a plan. I'll commit to the plan. I'll do whatever it takes to make that plan happen. But I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> stop and like question, is that actually the best thing to do? Uh, I think it's, it's almost to a fault of mine where, I'm always thinking of the next step and evaluating what's the best best option for it. Like in in all of my life, right? So it's hard. I actually have a tough time being fully present. You know, like uh, people, you could. I'm terrible about. Like, I can have a conversation with somebody and then not not remember what the hell we just talked about because I while I was having that conversation, my brain was you know often right field thinking about something else at the same time. And uh, yeah, certainly to a fault. I think it's at times. 
So yeah, we crossed the river, had that conversation, uh, decided to camp and, uh, you know, weather was super favorable. Um, you and I had both packed just bivvies and then tarps. Uh, we never ended up setting a tarp once the entire hunt. We just bivvied every night. Um, so quickly put out the bivvies, ate a little bit. Um, I crashed apparently pretty hard because apparently you heard a bunch of wolves at night and I had no idea what you're talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> I ended up sleeping well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't sleep well at like 2 a.m. Wolves, you know, I was probably just lightly sleeping and started hearing wolves howling and uh, they, they didn't go for, you know, maybe 30 seconds or something like that. I just heard, heard them pipe off and kind of at first you think coyotes like, oh no, that's wolves. And then you know, I fell, fell asleep and then it, it was right around four. They really started going and they were going off for quite a while. And uh, after, you know, after a couple minutes of listening to them, I'm like, Mark, you hearing this? You know, just kind of whisper over there and no response from you. Mark. Mark. <laughs> I kept like, <laughs> kept getting louder and louder and louder. And I think I said your name probably 10 times, like to the point where it was like fairly loud conversation voice and you're only sleeping, you know, 10 feet away from me and nothing. I'm like, well, he's out. Uh, <laughs> those wolves coming down you're I'll, I'll be able to run and you'll just be getting chewed up so uh, <laughs> leave me out for bait um yeah so but obviously that was like ooh, that's uh yeah there's a pack of wolves living in here that's not good for elk hunting uh so that certainly put uh immediately the wheel started turning like oh uh okay well maybe we're not going to find our elk in here we'll mm-hmm. kind of see what happens but maybe this is just deer hunt for a couple days and then head over to plan b yeah, we woke up. Uh, you told me that there was wolves. At first, I thought you said, did you hear the bulls last night? And I was like, no. And you're like, oh, man, they were like fired up and going crazy. And I was like, oh, sweet. And it wasn't till later you said something again. And I realized you said wolves, not bulls, because I thought there was bulls up screaming all night. Uh, <laughs> so I was excited and then disappointed when I heard it was wolves. But yeah. Yeah, we woke up, made that pull to the ridge. Um big 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 country once you get up there just like a ton of country to look over and cover and yeah i don't i <laughs> i feel like on one hand steve we could just like skip forward 36 yeah. hours from this point uh and not say much other than to say we covered a bunch of ground with our boots and with glass and didn't really turn anything up both in terms of seen actual deer but also like sign um w- from that whole section because again i don't necessarily want to jump over it and miss something but like are there takeaways thoughts from that whole time got to see a badger in the wild for the <laughs> i think the first time that was cool like he was what 20 yards away from us and yeah uh, i was running i think I may, i've been running those sig image stabilized binos a lot this year and got the phone scope adapter that clips right onto them and i was able to get some really cool footage you just, you just literally put that the binos in the target mode and just film it it's it's freaking incredible it's a cool way to get video and photos while you're out there hunting and, and you know traditionally it's always been like if you see something and if i had a spine scope then i could get it out and i could digiscope it but this is like a almost an instant pull it out of your pocket bam get some video um so that badger was cool he was just pretty um, mm-hmm. really really neat coloring and just i've never really looked at one that close and he was curious he just stared at us and kind of walked over a log came popped his head back up walked closer towards us it was a yeah pretty cool little experience other than that yeah we were just struggling to 
there wasn't a lot of elk or deer sign. I've elk hunted a couple miles away from the spot. So I was and had a really good hunt. This was probably back in 2018 or 19. So I was just fully expecting there to be a lot of elk in this country. Again, I knew there wasn't going to be loaded with deer, but I, th- I certainly thought there's going to be a couple big bucks, you know, hiding out up here somewhere. And we covered a lot of country and just didn't, you just weren't seeing tracks. Like, well, obviously we weren't seeing deer with their eyes. And the next thing you look, look at for is like, well, is there fresh tracks on the ground? And there was, uh, it had snowed a little bit and uh, probably 36 hours prior, prior to us being there. And we were, you know, up on this ridge and they're just, I mean, we didn't see a single deer track in the snow, which basically told me, you know, everything has, has moved on, had started migrating out of there. So we were too high, uh, but still thought there'd, you know, we, we could see from up on top of this ridge system, you could see 360 miles and miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Uh, you still think we would have picked up something, but we just didn't. So, yeah. Um, either they had moved on and, and moved on weeks prior or they just weren't there to begin with. Yeah. That evening, um, you know, we covered a bunch of ground that day, a lot of glassing. The evening we did spot a bull, so essentially a bull in my deer unit, which was outside of my uh, elk zone. Um, so a bull that we couldn't hunt by any means, but about a mile away and watched him feed that evening. He was a solid bull mm-hmm. and then actually woke up and saw what we think was a different bull the next morning. So we were seeing a little bit of elk in the deer unit. Uh, but again, that was outside my deer zone. And then, yeah, I mean, I think total, we saw just quickly on the kind of, the, as we were leaving the deer area, we saw like, what was that four does, Steve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that was it. That was the, that was the extent of the game. Um, yeah, just putting on miles, putting on glass like it's always i think especially with deer hunting a balance right of like how how patient are you how much do you stay put how much do you rely on the on the glass but at the same time as you put on miles you not only gain different vantage points and open up new country but as you said steve it's like an it's a opportunity to read sign on the ground too um and so i think there's benefits to both and we did both and just essentially didn't didn't see much of anything so we kind of got back up to the ridge you know this is the following day and um it was definitely one of those points where we we could have gone back to the truck the way that we came in um but we decided to essentially hunt our way out so as we again left the deer unit we're entering the elk zone um you know it was obviously valid for me it wasn't open yet but we could have camped on something if we saw something yeah, that, and then your deer tag uh, as a resident would have been valid as well. So if we did turn up a buck, even though we're in my elk zone now and now and not my deer zone, it would definitely something that uh, would have been on the table for you. Yeah. Yeah. We we're essentially, instead of taking the easy way out, we took the hard way out and knowing that we could hunt essentially almost all the way back to the truck. Like everything looked good to get within you know, half a mile where the truck was actually and 200 yards <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true there was so much elk sign down there in the bottom uh, we definitely found a spot to where elk like to live in september because there was rubs and poop and just all sorts of sign in there um so yeah we just took our it was one of those 
we, you know, I'd, I'd been talking about recent Monday minutes of like running tracks and understanding how long it takes for you to travel country. So the goal is just essentially make sure we got back to the truck before dark or at dark. The, the, the reason was the last 2000 feet, there was a pretty steep drop back down to the truck. And on the way in, when, when we started hiking the first day, we, you know, I remember glassing the hill and it was just, just ribbon cliffs everywhere. And like, well, we don't want to be going down that in the dark. That's just not, yeah, there's, there's no way you could navigate it in the dark because you're it's just way too many cliffs. And uh, so we're just kind of looking and drawing a line on Onyx going, okay, I think from camp that morning, we were guessing we're about 10 miles back to the truck. And, and once we got up to the ridge, it was like seven miles and it was, uh, I want to say like 11 a.m. or something like that when we were sitting up there made some mm-hmm. top ramen and coffee and like, all right, well, we got eight hours, seven miles to go. We should just be able to have a nice slow pace, you know, like sit and glass in a few spots and pretty much exactly how it worked out. Like I said, understanding how, how far we had to hike and um, some of the obstacles along the way, we just kind of timed it to uh, get back to the truck. And uh, if we didn't see anything, I was very optimistic that we were going to, you know, find a big bull feeding that evening and, and be like, oh, all right, we're camping right here. Throw out the baby sacks. We'll wake up in the morning and shoot them. Uh, but we didn't didn't see anything. Saw saw some elk tracks. There was definitely more sign, uh, animal sign on on the on the elk side of the unit. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, didn't see anything. There was some guys on horses that had rode in, and um, I think if they hadn't been there, I'd have been maybe more inclined to kind of mm-hmm. think about sticking it out. But I just hate being around other hunting pressure you just don't know if they're gonna you know they could mess up your hunt for you so we elected to keep hiking through got back to the truck um and then basically had plans b and c on where to go next plan it's kind of plan c which turned into plan b was one of our (laughs) buddies anthony had been scouting for deer in a in um in the unit that you could hunt elk and um he had this was prior to till the weekend prior so it was only you know seven days away and he said hey i was in this canyon looking for deer and there was bulls bugling and a lot of elk in there and it was in a a different corner of the zone that we've never hunted elk before and i've i've been in there in the past but you hadn't and so it's like wow let's go check out some new country and uh decided to head that way as you said plan the original plan b was an area we know well and have hunted and have had really great success in and then this you know what you just mentioned about anthony was plan c but it was like oh i mean let's just go see some new country because we still had time to like quote unquote go to plan c and then back up and come to you know the old stomping grounds of the what was the original plan b so yeah we just flipped that order to i was just eager to go see some new country i always love seeing and learning new country so it was fun yeah essentially studied the maps built a plan on you know i hadn't been i've been around this country but not to the specific canyon and there's kind of multiple options of of routes to hike into there and anthony had mentioned like i think if i was going to go in I'd, I'd take this way and uh the only thing i didn't know was i was expecting a lot more hunting pressure uh and so i was very uneasy about that and also we're looking at the weather forecast and it's just kind of bluebird days and just like, ah, man, I don't know. Like I, um, I just wasn't like, I didn't have a super warm, fuzzy feeling 
that uh with that like kind of we had, we had ran into that last opener of rifle last year like this incredibly mm-hmm. warm weather where the elk were barely active you know just bedded down all day long it was essentially like you got a little little bit of activity in the morning and a little bit maybe right at dark but the vast majority of the day was just you were struggling to turn up elk yeah. um, and this country we we're headed to is just a little bit more more open more you know some sagebrush and stuff like that so it was just kind of like this could uh it could be slow hunting and then with the hunting pressure i was a little nervous but i was yeah same our thought process was well you want to check out a new country let's check it out and, yeah we'll we'll go to the plan c where we i felt extremely confident because i'd been in there bow hunting you know back in september and knew where the elk were and it's like i know we're going to go in there and kill something within 24 hours so let's go check out this stuff and built a plan to get in there got in there essentially got right to where we wanted to be within 15 minutes of of shooting light that morning and mm-hmm. uh pretty quickly spotted a bull yeah it was uh it's always encouraging when that happens right <laughs> like you said you had some context and even anthony like knowing or hearing that there was bulls in there it's like you you mentioned it it's like yeah i mean that they were and yes that was only like seven to ten days ago but there's been probably a lot of pressure from deer hunters in there so you never know like have they pushed the elk around or pushed the elk out or you know it's a time of year like are bulls still going to be talking you know like a week isn't long but it can also make a huge difference in terms of hunting pressure and elk activity so it was you re- reassuring to get in there and and see something for sure um i'm trying to think so we we spotted that bull steve and then you know he was in a spot that again we're still figuring out this country we're figuring out this drainage that we're in he's crossed the canyon and uh we were just like, all right, well, let's go after him. But we don't fully know yet what that means in terms of like, what's it going to take to cover ground? What is, you know, what's our side of the canyon like? What's his side of the canyon like? What's it look going to look like to cross? And um, yeah, we started, you know, cutting the distance a little bit and uh, keep tabs on him. And um, essentially he, I'm trying to think he, I mean, he fed back into the timber so he wasn't out in the open anymore and it was pretty shortly after that that we heard him bugle and then what we thought mm-hmm. was another bugle and so they're going oh, well now we can't see the bull but we think there might be two bulls over across the canyon um yep. it was a pretty short time that we heard him after we after he went yeah the i don't right i think we so we initially saw him there's a bunch of trees in our way that kind of were, were close to us so we boogied on up the trail 400 yards 500 yards maybe like that it's got to a point where then we can now really it's just completely open between us you know we're at that point what you know 12 13 1400 yards away from the elk so yeah. still a good ways away but then yeah heard two bugles i mean they're they're right next to each other but it, it just sounded like two bulls you know i mean it was so we couldn't 99% verify it but it was like yeah that's two bulls um which was good news and uh then yeah looking at the maps looking at the canyon it wasn't there wasn't this glaringly obvious spot to get closer to them it was just kind of like well we just need to get get in that country and figure it out you know oftentimes especially with the rifle hunting or rifle and bow hunting you want to 
pick country that's conducive to the weapon you're hunting with. And this was just, um, this was actually really great bow hunting country. I want to go back to this canyon and, yeah. and bow hunt, uh, just really broken up and timber and benches and, wa- uh, actually no water. Um, <laughs> but, uh, just, just really broken up and nice. And, um, but from a rifle perspective, there wasn't like, you know, because there was a lot of timber in the kind of bottom of the canyon and on the one side that we were on, you weren't going to have this obvious glassing spot to get to. Um, there, there wasn't a, just kind of a slam dunk, like, oh, that bull's dead. It was just like, well, mm-hmm. we know there's elk there. Most likely two bulls. Let's get closer and just see what we can kind of make happen. And mm-hmm. then that's what that's what we did. We we got on this kind of the edge of this one bench and, you know, stinking being able to use Onyx these days as a tool that you didn't have. You know, I got the, we've obviously got the aerial imagery downloaded and I'm looking through the timber and you could kind of see this little open patch like, well, let's just kind of hike our way to there. And we got there and looked at the hill and um, we're basically directly across from where the, the poles were across the canyon. And um, like, oh, well, yeah, this works. Um, we got a place to sit and glass. And if they come out on the hill and they come out low enough, they're in shooting range. Um, so we just, uh, yeah, basically sat there. But the problem is it's what, 9 a.m.? Yeah, we got to that point and it felt good. As you said, it's like it allows us to keep tabs on them, hear them if they're going to talk, see them if they're going to come out and feed. Um, but it's tough. Like, it's like, as you said, it's just like there's no clear route to them necessarily. And then I was just weighing, okay, it's 9 a.m. Like, there's a really good chance they're just in this timber all day. And if, it was September, I would have been like, all right, well, let's go, you know, like, let's slow play it, but like, let's go for some of that midday madness, like, you know, try and hopefully hear a bedded bugle later, maybe sneak in, cow call, get between them, like, go make something happen. But it's not then, and it's not archery, and like, maybe patience is the right play here to see what happens, like, whether that means they come out to feed midday, whether it means we just hear them again to keep tabs on them. Um, you know, we were the way that those bulls interacted and and bugled what we thought was back and forth to each other. Again, we weren't a hundred percent sure, but it seemed like it, it kind of gave us the impression, like, I think it's a satellite and then like a herd bull with some cows. And so that was the other thing is it's like, maybe I don't think these are two bulls broken off from cows yet. So not only if we go over there, are we dealing with, two bulls that we don't have perfectly pinpointed but you know there's other eyeballs other noses to deal with if there's cows up there as well so yeah there was just a lot of you know on my end like debating like how aggressive should we be it's the first day and um what's the best play it's new country you're not as familiar with it it wasn't super conducive to going over there and like closing the distance with the rifle and getting a 200 yard shot it's going to be like a 40 yard shot right to go make something happen so yeah all that was going through the mind and i mean i don't i think there was numerous back and forths between us steve but at some point the decision was essentially made to like well let's sit here and just see what happens and maybe sitting here means all day like yeah. We're going to see him come out again. We're going to hear him again. We don't know, but looking at all the options in the country and trying to read the situation, 
we just decided to bank on being patient. Yeah. And I was, um, <laughs> I was fighting it because <laughs> I just <laughs> like, I don't know. I just wanted to move, you know, I just, yeah. um, I wasn't in the mood to just sit there all day long, but you know, like again, studying the maps, I'm like, I don't see, I don't, I don't feel super warm and fuzzy about the opportunity. The chance that the bull comes out and feeds and feeds down low enough that we're able to shoot him. But I also looking, I didn't, it, knowing it was going to be this bluebird day, I didn't think we had a good chance. I mean, we, we could have still hunted through the timber, but with a, I mean, that's just a losing proposition with a rifle. It's pretty thick timber. Like you're going to have to sneak up to an elk at 20 yards and jump shoot him as he jumps out of his bed. Like it's just not a good play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just looking at the maps going like, well, okay. The backside of where these elk are at is like really steep and rocky. I don't, they're not going to feed out that way. Um, we thought there was water below us. Um, so like, well, it's pretty dry country. If they're going to get out, they're probably going to, you know, they're come feed. They're probably going to drop down to water. And that smaller bull that we'd seen go in that timber patch, I did feel like, well, if there's one that's going to come out and feed at midday, it's him. It's yeah. a, you know, he kind of was on this little triangle patch of trees that came down from a bigger patch above him. And that's where we last saw him anyways that morning. I thought there was a good chance that he could feed right or left out of that, you know, at noon, one o'clock. It's very common for those elk to get up and feed and stretch their legs a little bit. Uh, so after, you know, doing what I always do and analyzing all these different scenarios, like now, okay, this is the right, right situation. And you were, you said you were pretty well dead set on it, uh, before I was that this was the best play. Yeah. So we kind of settled in, um, we, especially once we realized like we could be sitting here all day or tonight. Cause that's the other thing that was going into my decision of, Maybe we sit here all day and we don't get a chance tonight, but maybe we sit all day today. Maybe we sit all day today and overnight and then also have a chance in the morning. So I'm like, and I hesitate to do this too. I much prefer to hike and be active, but I'm like, maybe we get a chance tonight or tomorrow. So I'm like settling in, trying to settle in um, to be impatient and seeing what happens there. And then, uh, as you said, Steve, with water, we went into this country, I mean, fully expecting it to have water. There's a a known named creek in the bottom. There's a bunch of feeders in this canyon. There'd recently been snow, so we're expecting, you know, even a little bit of snow melt to add to runoff. Um, So we went in there, you know, with enough water really for the day, but also like, yeah, we'll find water in there, no problem. And, uh, as we were sitting and being patient at one point, you're like, all right, I'm going to take off and go find some water. And you were gone. I don't know. It felt like 45 minutes or an hour. Or oh, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you were gone quite a while and you come back and I'm like, all right, do you all filled up? And you're like, no, I can't find anything. And I'm like, oh no. And at that point, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I basically had Nalgene and then plus a little bit more. And it, that was midday, call it noonish. And I'm thinking, man, if we do end up sitting here all day, potentially plus stay the night or something happens this evening. Eesh. So like right at that point, I started, you know, really throttling back consumption and trying to keep what I had. And uh, 
Yeah. And then you, I think it was, you know, early afternoon, like you snuck back and took a nap and, <laughs> and all that as we were sitting around with nothing to do. And uh, it was really between the water and then plus I'd been sitting there for five hours at this point. I'm beginning to like really question like, is this stupid? I mean, I could be hunting versus just sitting here. Um, it was definitely a mental battle. Yeah. It, it, once, you know, like one, one, two o'clock came by or whatever. And it's like, oh, I haven't seen him get up and feed yet. Like this is in the, and the, just the most bluebird day, not a drop of freaking wind. Like, I mean, you could hear every sound. If, yeah. if an elk stepped a thousand Everything. yards away and broke a twig, you were going to hear it um, to the point where we were like, you know, probably maybe not even cautious enough of like, I'm sure our voices carry through that, you know, when it was especially that quiet where yeah. animals could hear you from a, a good distance away. Um, Yeah. So just kind of like, well, I'm getting sleepy. I'm going to go throw out the bivy and take a nap. And uh, you're just going to sit there in glass and then, I guess when I was doing that, no, yeah, it was like two thirty. Cause yeah, you I heard, heard him bugle. at two thirty. Yeah, so I was sleeping. He bugled. You heard it, and then I'll say at like three thirty is when uh, I was kind of awake, laying in the baby sack, and I heard him bugle, and it sounded like, you know, it sounded like kind of more of a fired up bugle. It wasn't like the bedded, just kind of you know, it was a it was a full bugle, and I immediately like oh, pot, you know popped out of the baby sack, deflated my pad, got everything rounded up, got over to you within a couple of minutes. And, uh, I, I thought you had heard it. And I was like, it just sounded to me like he was, that bull was going to get out of his bed and, you know, start feeding. And you know, like, it was game on. Yeah. And, uh, I got over to you and you were just kind of fiddling around. I'm like, you hear the bugle. It's like, no, oh, <laughs> son of a, <laughs> like you, were, you were doing something. I think you got cold. Cause now the shades hit. Yeah. You. I was putting uh, my long johns on layers on. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I sat there for a little bit, nothing, nothing, nothing. And you know, we know the bull, um, this is the bigger bull that we suspect had a herd was kind of, you know, we thought he was like up in this little bowl above us. And, uh, it's like, clearly that, that sounds pretty, it doesn't sound muted. It sounded direct to us. So he's not far over that lip. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I was like, well, I'm going to drop, the first time I dropped down to the creek to look for water, I went kind of, you know, up canyon. I was like, I'm going to drop straight down and work down canyon, see if I can find some water. And I was on two missions. One was it, as I dropped down, I was hoping I could get us a closer shot. You know, if, if the elk came out and didn't come down that we could, you know, make a mad dash to. So I was down there hiking around, looking for water and looking for different shooting spots. But it's, it's all timber. So it's just finding little pockets that are like, all right, there's no, no, trees for this 10 feet and you can kind of get a little gap and shoot cross canyon i found a couple spots uh unfortunately did not find water but i did find a little patch of snow that was you know six feet by eight feet kind of you know on top of some dead logs and stuff like that and it was i'm talking like maybe half of an inch of snow laying on the pine needles and dirt and uh i was like well this is the only option i got for water so i'm just like took me a half an hour probably with my fingertips just trying to grab little bits of snow and got not grab too much dirt and pine needles and uh filling up filled up a jet boil and then i had um we had started the day with two liters of water um or i had and i think you were pretty similar to me mm-hmm. and uh at this point i had 
you know, half a liter left of water. And uh, with, you know, it was kind of definitely like a ominous, like, uh, there's no water here. I got half a liter. Uh, knowing that bull was there, it's like, what if we kill this bull and then we're staying the night here and we got to pack it out tomorrow. Obviously, there's no water on the route back to the truck. It was just kind of like, this could get interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, I started just, I filled up two jet bulls worth of snow, one. And I said, I poured a little water in there, melted it, dumped it. It was just full of turd pine needles and crap, but dumped it back into my dirty water bag, filled up another one. And, you know, my fingers are just freaking numb and burning because it just basically grabbing onto the little chunks of snow. And, um, but I got, got, you know, essentially was able to get like a liter and a half or something out of that and then hiked back up to you. And I was like, well, there's no water. I got a little bit of snow. I did find a couple spots we could shoot from, and uh, I don't know what, it's probably 5 o'clock at this point, 4.35, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 5, we've been sitting here since 9, 9.30, something like that, um, so a full work day, you know, after sitting there. <laughs> Worked the 9 to 5, just sitting there. <laughs> um, again, questioning my sanity at some points, and then the other thing I had 8 hours to sit there and do was to look at the entire hillside and think, well, what if an elk comes here? What if it comes there? What if it comes out up here, but works down there? So I'm like, again, eight hours to sit there and think through shooting, my shooting position, uh, different opportunities that are totally off the board. If not opportunities, that's like, man, if they get there, I feel really good. And then, you know, of course, there's a gray zone in between there where it's like, oh, like maybe that would work if things are perfect or what have you. But man, I don't know. So, yeah, I literally had eight hours to to kind of process that and, and look at different options. And then, as you said, Steve, like we're also looking at other options, like where can we go? Where can we move? How can we cut the distance? Um, you know, and really that was from our slope like from our side of the canyon because their side of the canyon was just super steep had a ton of like little micro fingers in it where it was like i don't think that there's a way for us to cross and again like create a call it a two to four hundred or even a hundred to four hundred yard shot like it's gonna be you're gonna have to be like right on them and because it was so steep and had so much micro terrain like it's good you don't you're going to lose all perspective. As soon as we leave our vantage point, we're going to lose all perspective and trying to be find them blind, really. Like even if we know yeah. they're on the hillside. So yeah, there's just, you know, I again, hours and hours to think through everything. And yeah, you get back at five and essentially it was probably right before six, maybe. Um, you were like, Ooh, there's some milk. And we get the glass up and there's two cows who were coming out and just on the edge of the timber, pretty much exactly where we thought that bigger bull was. And now there's two cows that show up. And uh, yeah, two cows turned into five cows. And, you know, one thing I couldn't do all day is I was, I was set up, I would get in positions with my rifle, I would set up off the quick sticks, I would set up off a tripod, I would play with rear support, no rear support, but I couldn't ever obviously get elk in the scope to see what that felt like. And uh, 
so you know, these cows came out and I'm still not like, I don't know if I'm going to, like, I don't know if I'm going to shoot or not, uh, but let me see how this feels. And so I get the rifle set up just on these cows and I just wanted to get them in the scope, create a shooting position and see how I felt. And then I was dry firing. And as you were doing that, you're like, oh, the bull's out, the bull's out. And when you did that, like when you said that, I didn't even like switch to move for the, to even look for the bull yet. Cause I'm like still on these cows, dry firing, just want to see what this feels like. And I think you thought I had moved over and was dry fired on the bull, which I'm still like, I just want to know if I'm even willing to shoot. Like, I'm not even concerned if there's a bull there yet, because I don't know if I'm going to do anything about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I stayed on the cows and then um, felt honestly really comfortable. And then kind of was like, okay, well, the, let's go look at this bull. Let's find this bull. And uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, I got, was still same shooting position, got the bull in my scope felt really good and uh you know at one point i just like literally finger on the trigger on the bowl but was just like i just i came completely out of my shooting position out of the scope because i just wasn't stable so i was like all right catch the breath you know like analyze this again and uh yeah ultimately decided you know all right I'm gonna take the shot and uh you know you were you were running your was it the pures with the the discope again yeah on on when we went out on this this you know second trip for elk there i took my instead of the sig image stabilizers i took my pures uh and the in the um same adapter that worked for the sigs clips onto the eyepiece of uh the pure so as i i'm sitting there watching the bowl you know videoing it uh through the binoculars which was fantastic by the way i've never done that <laughs> um yeah side note like it's it's freaking really solid like the footage is incredible yeah. you get really good resolution it's it's every bit as good as you know if you had a spotting scope a really nice quality scope on there it's just um you know the by the binos i had were 10 by 42s and then my phone has a 3x optical lens so you're not using any digital so i'm getting a 30x image on this elk and um you know, it's full screen zoomed in like good resolution. It's, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. So you're on it. I know you're on the bowl. Um, so, you know, that was a factor. Like also, I mean, I've, uh, I've thought about like the shot opportunity and all of the things that had to be perfect for me to be willing to take the shot. And one of them was like, not only having someone there because like I would never do that solo but then also you did have such like a great image to really see things and ultimately yeah after um I came out of the rifle got back on the bull felt super solid I you know knew what my rifle did at that distance I've shot at it conditions were 100% dead just perfect no wind um bull was feeding like he was on he wasn't chasing cows he wasn't alert he wasn't he was just chilling feeding um gave me a full perfect perfect broadside look and squeezed one off the first shot i hit him just a little bit back and then i was basically able to um follow up 
quick and get um, a second shot in him, which was great right in the vitals. And he was already wobbly, but uh, I mean, I'm always this way with like big game. Like if they're on their feet, I'm shooting if I can shoot and uh, got a third one in him. You know, it was another great shot in the vitals, like double long and um, he was down and I was in a bit of disbelief that it all just happened. <laughs> it was just yeah. like, I've, I've never sat on an opportunity like that for that amount of time and had it work out. And so it was just like this really like literally, you know, eight plus hours of sitting there and thinking about what if, and then questioning if this is stupid to try. And then there's an opportunity, but then a lot still has to go right. Like he could have came out and fed and been pushing cows. He could have been, in a wrong position like there's so many different things and it was like just thinking through all those factors it was like a newer experience to me again i've practiced well beyond what that shot ended up being which is in the upper sixes and you know that's not something like perfect case in point steve like on our spring bear hunt we had that bear perfect setup great shot at six and i wanted to move and moved into three like my preference is always to get closer but on this particular hunt being in that upper 600 range was it, it was like the option. It was kind of like that or nothing, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, um, it didn't make me any more interested to shoot further. I'll put it that way. Um, but I think it's also, I, if nothing else for me, I've been thinking through like, what are all of the things, like all of the considerations? Because I feel like the, the short answer when people ask like, oh, what's your effective range is just a really unfair black and white question because it depends on so many things so i don't know if i'll tackle that on like a future podcast with some of my thoughts or maybe do a little write-up mm. on things i think through you know to weigh a shot opportunity because there's shots that have been for me much closer but actually much harder right because it depends yeah. on all these variables so um anyway like, I, yeah there's certainly but it's why you know the two trips i left from our glassing point to like go down and look for water. I was looking for shooting spots and it's like, we could have got 50 yards closer, 80 yards closer. Uh, but then, but then you would have been shooting uphill. So then you're, you really had to have the tripod. It would have been a, a much tougher shot than just being a little bit further back and shooting level off the tripod. Cause we were basically maybe, I guess slightly up that elk was slightly up from us, but not a lot. Um, it's essentially like shooting flat. So it's just like certainly distance, you know, your shooting position um, has almost as I would well definitely has more of an impact than the distance, right? Mm -hmm. um, like you could, you know, who wouldn't want to take a 300 yard lane prone shot versus a 75 yard, you know, freehand, right? <laughs> so there's mm -hmm. certainly um, if you have the opportunity to get really stable and get a good rest, then that obviously negates quite a bit of distance. Um, but yeah, it's certainly I knew you were more than capable of making the shot, but it's um it was kind of beyond what it's like eh, normally you know 500 ish is kind of my personal i don't mm -hmm. want to go beyond that with my you know my big manly 6.5 creedmoor um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah anywho yeah it was uh you made a great shot the elk's dead and um yeah it was a great story so yeah we um was very excited but also still a little bit concerned <laughs> of like okay like i know our water situation 
I know it's going to be essentially dark by the time we get over there to him. Uh, like I was excited, but it wasn't just full on like celebration because I was like, man, we have we have to be pretty intentional about what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was exciting, but I, it was also because of like, even because of time and daylight, like you and I didn't sit around and, you know, tell stories and fart around for whatever. It was like, all right, he's down woohoo high fives, but like immediately we're packing our stuff up and like, we need to get over there and uh, it's going to be a long night and all kinds of stuff. So he didn't, fully like just sit back and celebrate and process in the moment we just knew we had work to do and kind of some some challenges ahead of us so yeah we dropped down crossed the bottom no surprise didn't find water again (laughs) um yeah he was you know kind of pretty high on the opposing face of that canyon so had a bit of a climb to get up to him and then as you said we get up to him and he's somehow like he's laying in a great spot to actually start to you know go gutless and like take care of one side he wasn't in a great spot for like pictures we had 10 maybe minutes of daylight to get pictures was like whatever like we'll get some we'll do what we can but um and then yeah his whole basically his belly side like you couldn't even really stand below him as you said steve you don't want to in case he rolls but you also couldn't because it was so steep it was just like a drop off um so yeah we kind of got pictures quick uh, got the packs prepped, ready to, we know by the time we're going to be hauling meat, um, it's going to be dark. I know by the time we get the first quarter off, for example, it's going to be dark. So it's just like, again, slow down in those situations and get your pack ready, put away what you don't need get out what you do need, have the game bags ready, have the knife ready. Um, I would say have some water and calories ready, but we didn't, um, and then yeah we essentially got some pictures and uh got to work and i don't i mean i essentially lost track of all time from there but essentially we started cutting with a tiny tiny bit of light and it didn't take long we had to kick the headlamps on and got them all taken care of you know in dark for sure yeah got it got all the quarters off back straps off neck meat off and then um i just started we you know we're kind of out on this open sage hillside so it's like well clearly can't just leave the quarters here. So I just started loading them up one at a time and packed them about 400 yards. Kind of, I kind of had to climb up and out of there a little bit, but essentially side hill up and out to where there's a bunch of trees and there's a finger ridge that kind of went down basically the route we were going to take out of there to pack out and um, packed them all up over there while you got the uh, cape off the head and uh, got the, basically the, the horns off the body so you could pack it out. Uh we decided to at first I was like, well, we'll just camp up here. And I was like, no, let's, let's each, let's throw on a hind quarter and hike down this finger Ridge. And we'll just kind of, we'll go, it will be another, by the time where we meet where the Creek should be, we'll be another half mile down. I've you know been in this type of country a lot where the Creek just d- goes underground, you know, like up in the head in the basin, it's there. And then it just completely disappears and, and pops back out. And I was really optimistic that, uh, um, there was water somewhere and it, Somewhere during cutting up the elk, I messaged our buddy Anthony, who had you know been in there deer scouting. It's like, hey, what uh, is there water? And he's like, yeah, there's like there's water down in the bottom of the canyon. So it's like I knew there was water. It came out somewhere. So I was you know, very optimistic that we could find it. Um, but at the same time, we didn't. Um, I didn't want to be. Uh, the, 
you never, if you don't have to, you never want to be hiking around in the dark, especially with headlamps on and kind of, sorry, with uh, meat on your back, you know, packing out when you just don't know the country. Cause it's, you know, it's not like it's just rolling timber. It's like fairly steep in spots. And um, yeah, <laughs> basically like, you know, <laughs> looking at the map, like, all right, Mark, we want to kind of like stay on this ridge and we should be able to follow it down. There's a couple of spots we got to navigate, but we'll get down to the Creek. And um, we, you know, you had uh, one of the things is I was my dumbass. Uh, I didn't have enough spare batteries in my or toilet um, paper <clears throat> or toilet paper. Yeah, I had two, <laughs> two things. I never make gear you know, mistakes. It's exceptionally rare, but I forgot toilet paper on the first trip. <laughs> and then I also I only had um, somehow I'd put brand new batteries in my headlamp in September. Uh, I I was like packing up for the hunt going. I don't think I ever used my headlamp because we were hunting out of the uh, trailer, the, you know, uh, out of a base camp. And we we're always just kind of like right at parking the truck or at daylight and hiking. And we always got back to the truck right at dark. Like we were never out wandering the woods in the middle of the night. It's like, I, I put brand, brand new batteries in this. I don't need to even check them. They're good to go. And then that first, first hike into the deer spot where it was like within five minutes, my headlamp was like, yeah, I couldn't see that my feet, it was so dull. And, um, I went to go get replacement batteries and realized I only had two in there. Um, and I had, a, luckily I had a spare, my spare headlamp. I could just carry a, no headband or anything. It's a, um, a black diamond sprint or spark, spark I don't sprint, know, something, something, some spot light. I can't remember. Anyways, it requires two. So I like, oh, well, I got that. Um, but, uh, it, it, it's not very bright. Um, so you had the brighter headlamp, you're leading down the hill. And you kind of veer off to the right, um, following a good path. But then it like took us into this little cliffy, not cliffy, but just real steep, rocky little creek bottom that it wasn't, uh, you know, no creek actually ever flows there apparently. And uh, <laughs> one of those deals, we hiked around the dark, you know, we're tired, we're dehydrated. Um, and we freaking eventually get to the creek after just like, you know, a complete crap show of... <laughs> Uh, just getting stuck in timber and then these little rock slide things and yeah. uh, like man Heavy that packs. sucked like yeah, yeah. You, know, you got a hindquarter on you're wandering around in the dark you're um and then the next day during daylight like we pack out across the canyon and look back and we're just like like i think we took every single wrong decision <laughs> like we could have yeah. possibly like, it didn't look that hard like right. it should have just been like well you follow that ridge you stay on the sagebrush you drop down and this should be a piece of cake uh, yeah. but somehow you know that's the we managed to turn what should have been a not easy hike down to the dry creek bottom but um not not difficult into something that was like stupid difficult um and so yeah like lesson learned like man if you're if you don't have if you don't absolutely have to get out that night um, and you're not, you don't have a trail to guide you, you don't know the yeah. country that well. Like it's just don't freaking like just sleep right there. Wake up and hike in the daylight. You're going to save um, basically going to waste so much energy trying to pack out in the dark. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, a, especially in that country. Cause you know, it's just a lot of deadfall and, um, stuff you're getting, you know, you're just kind of looking up the hill and with your headlamp, you can't see everything. You can't see the path that is like, oh, it's a little bit clearer if we veer 20 yards off to our left and take this route. And you just end up just killing yourself. So, and topping that off with being, you know, at this point, we get finished cutting up your elk. 
and I think I've got like 18 ounces of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're not, you're like 25 ounces of water, something like that. Um, and we're four miles from the truck and it's not exactly like a flat route out of there. Yeah. It's all no trail. Um, and yeah. So it's like, we gotta, I gotta make it through the night, wake up and do an entire pack out with no water. And to be, you know, to be fair, we could have like, I knew there was water in the bottom of the Canyon. We could have, if it was, if we ever got to the point where it was like that bad, it'd be like, all right, we'll just leave the meat here. We'll hike. We'll go find water. We'll get rehydrated. We could come back, but we were never quite to that point, but just uncomfortable. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I elected to drink most of my water before going to bed. Cause like if I'm dehydrated now, if I go all night without water, um, I, I think I could wake up and feel pretty miserable or if I drink most of it um, and just have a few sips for the pack out in the morning. I thought that was my, the better strategy. You kind of split the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them worked out. We we got out there. Uh, we woke up, got the, got the first load out to the truck. So it was right at four miles. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's flat ridge and it's not a, didn't feel like a ton of elevation, but at the end of it, um, our second trip, round trip from basically we got out to the truck we had to go drive down the road a couple miles to find some shade and find some water hung your two quarters we packed out filled up with water um and then i tracked the whole thing on strava and it was right at eight miles and 2800 feet of climbing to get in and out of there so it's not it wasn't flat by any means um it was a good good little pack out yeah yeah i remember like even thinking through as soon as we started, like you were shuttling meat, like you said, and I was taking care of the head and I'm thinking, man, like because of the water situation, like what's the smartest thing to do? Should we take a light load, you know, now? Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure how to break stuff up because obviously, you know, we have camp with us right now. We have multiple days of food, all of our gear. I have my rifle. So inherently we have this extra weight. And then it's like, if we take a light load out, find some water, recover. Maybe we come back in with, you know, what would be the heavier load. But uh, yeah, ultimately we decided both just to go rear quarters, um, which essentially made the second load lighter. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it was, a, it was a fine call. Like you said, it's, yeah. it was, yeah. I mean, we could have, like you said, if it was true, like severe dehydration, not becoming non-functional, like we could have just left meat, got water, but it was like, because it was that eight mile round trip, it's like, we don't want to have a three trip pack out or waste an entire trip just to find water or wander around, you know, two miles down the Canyon to find water type thing. So yeah, just thinking through all that was, you know, you just have to be intentional with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certainly when talking about like picking, do you go heavy load first or light load? Like, I think it a lot depends on in this one in particular, probably would have been more beneficial to go, light because we were the route out of there um you know there there was only about a mile of it which was like just a very clear path the other one was there's a good mile and a half chunk of just matchstick downfall um that on the way on the way in with my 35 pound pack you know i was like frustrated like this this sucks like <laughs> like i don't want to go back through this with a freaking elk quarter on my back um it's freaking it was just terrible it just just one of those it was just annoying because every every other step and a half you're up and over a log or you know balance beaming across a log to jump to another log it was just a freaking mess um 
and then you know the the this the portion when we got to the canyon to where your elk was there's you know, just a lot of stuff going on a lot of uh yeah. rocky stuff and a lot of uh trees deadfall um and uh so finding we're very um the second trip out was lighter but it was also we knew it's more efficient the exact it was more efficient we knew the exact route to get out of there the smoothest way possible where the first one the you know we woke up that morning had the hindquarters in our gear kind of took off out of there got into some kind of steep crap you know you're just slipping and sliding on rocks and um, you're just wasting energy where we kind of second time took like a higher route like where you climbed it's like a little 400 foot climb but you just kind of went straight up through the trees and then able to side hill to the saddle and it was a way better way better way to get out of there so i think there's that strategy of you know mm-hmm. lessons learned from this is like okay if it's the you know it's questionable on how we're going to get out of here i think using a going with the lighter ish load um probably mm-hmm. makes more sense than going super heavy for your first trip but on other hand there's times where you know i've talked about like if i kill an elk solo i'm gonna like i've got my my legs are underneath me i've got my most amount of energy i do all the heavy loads first or do the, like you know if you got to go from a creek bottom up to a ridge and then down the other side it's like i'll do all that climbing and shuttle the meat up to that ridge while my legs are as fresh as possible and then and then drop everything and then shuttle everything down from the ridge down as my legs mm-hmm. are getting tired so i'm only packing meat downhill so there's lots of strategies you can um use to you know get that meat out of there as best as possible i had to laugh when we took those hind quarters you know after you shuttled the meat and it's like all right we're gonna get out of here but let's go back down to the creek bottom and it was dark and made all kinds of terrible decisions to get there and then couldn't find water you're always so like level-headed slash positive and you weren't you know full-on grumpy but you were just you were so frustrated with the route it was dark it was late we were tired we were dehydrated and we couldn't find water you're just you're just like this is dumb like i can't believe there's no water like you just kind of kept going on it was pretty (laughs) funny i rarely Uh, see you like that yeah i didn't uh I, i i just like to drink i drink you know four to five liters of water a day and uh here i basically had a little over two i think two and a half for an entire you know what ended up being a close to a 36 hour period so it was just um obviously it was enough to keep me you know i had a pretty good little headache hiking out of there that first trip that morning and then it wasn't until um you know we rehydrated and then really got back to the elk like that hike back in to get to the second load i felt terrible yeah and that was um, with empty was packs kind of, yeah empty packs and it was kind of warm outside and it was like oh man it's gonna suck and then kind of i guess rebounded fairly quick because the, the final pack out felt great like we were both yeah, we were um, cruising we were we just cruised out of there hardly took any breaks at all and uh and then even i mean good enough to the point we got home and the next day i took you for a mountain bike ride so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that bad <laughs> yeah 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 on the way out we we uh got back pretty close to where the truck was and you know up, up ahead we see some hunters and so they're you know they're not like super deep but they had packs i think they were coming out from backpacking maybe or going in i'm not sure but um yeah you and i had both elected previous this natural saddle we had gone through it's like we had taken breaks on the way in and out but we were just both feeling really good and it's like yeah let's not even break like let's just knock this thing out 
And so we're cruising and we see these hunters and I'm thinking they're going to think we're nuts. Cause like we were hauling pretty decent pace, you know, with heavy packs and quarters and I got the elk rack on and, um, we pass the first guy and, you know, say hello and whatever, but just keep hiking. And, uh, he said something about the pole. Congrats. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And kind of same thing. Roll up on the second guy and, uh, same deal said, hi, he said, congrats. Thanks. And like, I think we had already physically passed him and he was like, by the way, I love the packs in the podcast. And I was just like, uh, thanks. But it like totally caught me off guard. Plus I was just like head down hiking. So if that was you and I totally like we snubbed you, I feel bad. So sorry, but good to see you. <laughs> yeah. We were just on yeah. a mission at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get back to the truck and get some more water. That's for sure. Yeah. All in all successful, successful trip learned, you know, it just, constantly constantly learning and evolving and things you can do better and different and mm -hmm. sometimes i feel like i learn something but then i for a few years i hunt a different style and i forget it and it had been i think when we're sitting there i was like i haven't sat you know from a early season mule deer hunting that like what we did was that's how you did it you found an animal right. you got as close as you could and you sat and whether it was 30 minutes or eight hours you're waiting for that animal to get up and feed and, and to be able to make your shot. And so it was very common, but I haven't sat like that on an animal for a long time. And, um, you know, it's amazing what, um, slowing down and patience can do for you. Cause I could, you know, I would say odds were against us that if we kept, if we were just like, well, maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go hunt and still hunt through the timber. We don't have the patience to sit here that day. We probably wouldn't have killed an elk. Like it was, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we did for that decision, analyzing, all the variables we we made the right one and we're successful yeah yeah it worked out um yeah similar to you it was just for me it was a fun hunt um because of the yeah i i don't hunt that way typically i'm not that patient um it was cool that it worked out um obviously made it fulfilling but it's just another example of you know, like every, it's not only a learning experience, it's a different type of hunt and different type of memory. And when I look at that bull in the future, I'm like, yeah, that's the one we sat and waited on for nine plus hours and it happened to work, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just cool to have new experiences, see new country, try something new and it happened to work that time. Um, speaking of new, I don't know that there's uh like new gear standout stuff i did share my gear list for this hunt before we left actually so um i'll leave a link in that uh or a link to that in the show description if you guys want to check out everything um anything for you steve i i guess um we had more experiences with the newer image stabilizing binos from sig uh the new hdx versions mm -hmm. um i'd say some really 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 good stuff and then some like oh man kind of yeah stuff you know um though the only bummer thing was they were the uh i don't know if it's just the conditions or what but they were tending to fog up on me in the colder mornings like more so than my other binos um and then um but they're also just like yeah to me they're not they're not a clear like i'm gonna take these with me on every single trip it's just conditions based like what um the terrain the distance i'm going to be glassing because when they're when they're right they're freaking amazing and when mm -hmm. i guess when when the conditions are right like when you know i don't um that you know you want if it, there's a couple times we we're glassing like a hillside that was only 400 yards away and i was too 
even though these were 12 by 42s, but the field of view is real narrow. And so it was, it was just kind of like, I just want to quickly scan this hillside. And I, I'm not a fan of a narrow field of view when I'm in a situation like that. But then there's other times when I'm glassing a hill that's a thousand yards away and you, you flick that thing on into target mode and just slowly pan around and man, you're not going to miss an animal. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're not, it's like trying to compare these binos to like a Swaro NLP, which is like <laughs> the best glass you can put your eyes behind. Uh, and they're not that um, from a, you know, like a resolution stuff, but they're still really dang good. So it's, yeah, yeah they're yeah. just tricky. I, I think I'm going to continue to, uh, you know, just be in the arsenal of, uh, um, you know, obviously I'm incredibly fortunate with SNS. We just, you know, we sell optics. So there's just always, I can kind of go to the shop any day and, grab a demo set of this or that and play with them and take them hunting. So I don't live in, uh, you know, reality, the real world of you got to buy one pair of binoculars. I have this super fortunate to just have multiple things I could pick from and choose. And, um, the SIGs are certainly going to be in the arsenal of things that I take on hunts, but not, it's not going to be every single time. So that's yeah. where I'm currently standing on. I still think I said this last time, I, as soon as they can, someone figures out how to like, put range finding ability into that as well as like just kind of up the continue to up the quality of the glass and field of view holy crap like the potential there is unbelievable and i'm sure it's you know one to six years in the future that's going to come out and mm -hmm. it'll completely it'll be like having onyx on your phone it'll like just just um uh, you're hesitating to say your favorite <laughs> phrase i know uh no yeah game changing yeah no some i saw some stupid youtube video of uh vortex came out with a um a new spotting scope and the, the title was game changing new scope i'm like what are you are you freaking kidding me like it's a 55 millimeter mid-quality spotting scope like this is game changing like yeah. get, come on um i hate that stupid marketing crap like that um but that truly would be a, um, something that would like, a, I would compare it to like Onyx on your phone, like something that would really change how you hunt. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, they were ideal for like even the first part of our trip where it's a mix of like covering ground with your boots and then stopping a the glass or gl even glassing as you're hiking, like, Ooh, there's a good little hillside. Let's check that out. Versus the second half of the hunt, you know, we didn't know it, but ended up sitting. Right. So if your style is like, sit and stay put and you already have a tripod or that's what you use mm -hmm. you know you're losing some of the appeal but if you're looking for like stability for glassing more on the move more mobile it truly is phenomenal and that like i was mm. jealous at points like we would be hiking and stop and i had my swirls which are a great class but it's like the stability that you had with those because we were swapping back and forth at times it's like it's pretty unbelievable yeah yeah like looking for looking for elk big bodies you know tan like they're easy to find uh not as big of a deal but the, having those sigs with um as you're hiking and moving and you want to glass a hillside like you're the chances of me seeing a deer over you i'd, I'd say i had double the chance like it was a certain advantage in that situation so i'll definitely uh, we got kodiak coming up here in a few weeks going up there to hunt deer and I think those SIGs are going to be fantastic up there. Like mm -hmm. just cause it's brushy and you see, you know, you're, you are hiking all day long. There's not a lot of sitting and glassing cause it's, it's almost a moot point. Cause if you, <laughs> you glass something at a thousand yards, by the time you get over there, that deer's might as well, you know, be 
uh, just completely disappear off the planet. Um, and uh, so you're just kind of moving and glassing. And uh, I think those SIGs are going to be absolutely fantastic for that. Yeah. Um, another gear, I guess we could slightly mention we are both testing some prototype pants from a company and Ooh, holy crap. Went there. I went there. <laughs> I just, I, it's like a two year project. So don't get too excited. Like <laughs> some, some in the future, but we're, uh, yeah, they're, they were absolutely fantastic, man. Some yeah. of the, some tweaks to be made and improvements, but, um, as it stands, the, the most comfortable pants I have comfortable and functional pants that I have ever put on while hunting. Yeah. I didn't tell you, Steve, but I had a call with the person that shall, shall not be named about the pants yesterday of feedback. Uh-huh. And yeah. It's exciting to be able to have like some real input and impact on stuff. And yeah, if these win, I think if, but I think it's more likely that's a win when these do come out. But again, it is a long process. Um, they should be really cool for sure. Yeah. Um, the only other one I would mention um i mean i just you know not a ton of new stuff but the that new asiac tripod i used on this hunt mm. I used it on my sheep hunt um i got my hands on it this summer so i've been playing with it for a handful of months but in terms of like in the field stuff this was you know another example and it is what i ended up shooting from um shooting the rifle from so i mean i've gotten that question of like man it's such a light tripod can you shoot from it um you know and it's the obvious answer is yes, and then the obvious answer is it's not a PRS tripod, it's not a standing tripod, it's not meant to be a primary shooting tripod, but for something stupid light, um, it can be really stable both for glassing and then, you know, worked really, really well for shooting. So it's, there's definitely been trips in the past where I've really either decided not to take a tripod because of the weight and regretted it or took it begrudgingly and like oh man i didn't use mm-hmm. as much as i want i hate carrying it all of my experience with this asiac tripod so far is like man what it gives you for the weight is i just think i'm going to carry it a lot um even yeah. on some hunts that i wouldn't have probably carried a tripod before yeah i've been um very impressed with it uh for the yeah. It it is a lightweight tool. It's not like going to be the most rock solid thing ever. But for you know when you're designing gear and you got obviously from a backcountry hunting perspective balance, you know essentially performance, weight, and durability. We've got all these things that you know when designing the packs that we've got to balance. And I think the Asiax a, a great great trick of uh, balance and combination of all those. So we were with SNS Archery. We've been selling some of their clamps and stuff like that and. We found out they were doing the tripod and got a sample of it in earlier this year. Um, I was, yeah, I immediately saw it and was just very, very impressed with it. And yeah, it's been great. Well, if you guys have follow-up questions, as always, uh, send us an email, podcast at xmongear.com. And and then if you uh, haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive the future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.